Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're doing a series through the book of Revelation. And so far, we've reached to the end of Revelation 18, which describes the result of the seventh bowl of wrath um, in Revelation 16. And that's the destruction of Antichrist's world empire called Babylon the Great. And this happens just before the climactic event of all history, the return of Jesus Christ in power and glory to bring the battle of the war, or the war of Armageddon to its end and to establish his reign upon the earth. And that second coming is described in Revelation 19. But before we go to Revelation 19, I want to go back to the sixth bowl of wrath and give a more detailed description of the exciting battle or war of Armageddon, the battle campaign of Armageddon, by bringing in other scriptures about this special time and harmonizing them with the book of Revelation. And so today we're going to study the order of events of the war of Armageddon, leading up to the second coming of Christ. So number one, the sixth bowl of wrath is poured out and that initiates the battle of Armageddon. It starts with this uh, bowl being poured out maybe a few weeks before the end. Let's read. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the satanic trinity in action. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle or war of that great day of God Almighty. The word translated battle here is better translated war because it's not just a single battle but a sustained military campaign lasting some weeks. And it's called the war of that great day of God Almighty because this war is brought to its conclusion by the personal victorious return uh, and intervention of God Almighty the Lord Jesus Christ, at his return in power and glory, when he destroys all his enemies. This day is called the great day of God Almighty, because on this day, God himself intervenes in human history by his personal appearance in glory. This day is also called the great day of his wrath in Revelation 6, and also the great and awesome day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, but literally it means the great day of the Lord's manifestation, Jehovah's manifestation. So number one, we've seen the, the sixth bowl of wrath. Number two, Antichrist now gathers his armies, the armies of the whole world actually, to Megiddo in Israel. We've seen that the sixth bowl releases events that result in the gathering of all the armies of the world under the control of the devil's agents, Antichrist and the false prophet, for a final showdown with God. Revelation 16, 16 tells us where this will take place. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. This is a location in the north of the land of Israel. It's literally Har Megiddo, meaning the hill of Megiddo, which is strategically located hill overlooking the Jezreel Valley in Israel. It stood at the mouth of a pass of the international highway between Egypt and Mesopotamia. The city of Megiddo controlled this major road, and so it was often a prime target for invading armies. Many major battles have been fought in the past on this plain, on the plain that it overlooks. Therefore, it's a perfect gathering point for the invading armies of Antichrist as the initial phase of an invasion of the whole of Israel. Therefore, this sixth bowl of wrath initiates the whole campaign of Armageddon. 
though it is demonic forces working with and through the Antichrist who gather these armies, it's actually God, the judge, in sovereign control who's causing these armies to come to Israel in order to judge them there. The result will be the final destruction of Antichrist, his empire, and all his armies. The sixth bowl also dries up the Euphrates uh, to make it easier for those massive armies to come and invade Israel. Hamagido is not actually where all the fighting will take place, but it's the gathering point for the armies of the world. And this war will cover the whole of Israel, and even Edom in South Jordan, where the remnant of Israel will be hiding. The armies are not gathered to fight each other, as some people teach, but they are the armies of the Antichrist's world empire, and they are gathered by the command and persuasion of Antichrist in order to destroy Israel as a nation, and also to prevent the return of Christ, who's promised to come and establish his kingdom through Israel at this time. Satan's plan is to destroy Israel, for if he succeeded, he would prevent Christ from establishing his kingdom on earth, because it's the fulfillment of God's covenants and promises to Israel. So without Israel, there cannot be this kingdom. In Matthew 24, Jesus describes his return. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be, for wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will be gathered together. The wherever indicates that he's giving the location of his return. This is confirmed by the parallel verse in Luke 17, and they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? In other words, the disciples are asking about where the second coming will occur. So he said to them, For wherever the carcass is, that's Israel, there the vultures, the nations, will be gathered together to eat it. The carcass, you see, is Israel. As the vultures gather to eat an animal that's close to death, so the armies of the world will gather at Armageddon to devour Israel, which they see as easy prey, dead meat, uh, to be eaten. But Jesus will return like lightning to destroy them, and so it's poetic justice that their flesh will be, it, it's their flesh that will be eaten by birds, according to Revelation 19. This is confirmed by Zechariah, in chapter 14, which says that the Lord will return to Israel to destroy the armies of the world gathered to destroy her. For I'll gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. So he's going to re return to Jerusalem. Now, Joel chapter 3 describes the call for these armies to gather for Armageddon. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather all around. And this results in Israel's prayer for God's heavenly armies to come down and save her from, this, from genocide. That's in Joel 3, verse 11. Cause your mighty ones to come go down there, Lord. This prayer continues in in verse 13, come, go down. You see, they're calling for Christ to return from above. For the winepress is full. That's the land of Israel. We're going to see that. It's full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. The land of Israel is compared to a winepress full of grapes, ready to be crushed underfoot at the end of the harvest, at the harvest time. The grapes represent these invading armies, which Christ will crush underfoot at his return. And then Joel declares, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision or the valley of judgment, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. 
And so Israel's prayer will be answered when the Lord returns with his armies to judge and destroy these invading armies. Psalm 2 describes the warfare upon the earth in the time before the Lord's return. The warfare in, in opposition to God reaches its climax at Armageddon. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's against Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And at Armageddon, Antichrist gathers his armies, not just against Israel, but to fight against the Lord. It's the final showdown. Because he knows that Jesus has promised to return at this time to rule the earth. That is clear from scriptures in Daniel and Revelation, the exact timing of it. If Once you're in the tribulation, you'll know, if you know the Bible. But God is not worried by Antichrist forces. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set, I have established my king, Jesus, on my holy hill of Zion. He laughs because he knows their efforts are futile. He's already made Jesus the king and the Lord of heaven and earth. Soon after his resurrection, Jesus was enthroned in the heavenly Zion. And at his second coming, he'll be enthroned in the earthly Zion, Jerusalem. On the morning of his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven as the first fruits offering unto God. And he told Mary Madeline, I am ascending, I'm going to my Father. And he also at that time presented his blood in the heavenly holy of holies. And also at that time, according to Daniel 7, he received all authority in heaven on earth. And later, when he returned and met with his disciples, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth in Matthew 28. He was given all authority at that time to reign over the earth and soon he will claim and enforce that right and physically return to sit upon his earthly throne uh, in Zion and reign as king over the earth and there's nothing that the Antichrist and his armies can do about it. Jesus then confirms this in Psalm 2 by repeating the words of his father at his kingly coronation in heaven, saying, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations, your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. In Acts 13, 33, actually, Paul confirms that these words were spoken on the day of Christ's resurrection. It says, he has raised up Jesus, as it's also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, on the day of the resurrection, he says, I have begotten you. And he spoke those words, giving him all authority, giving him the nations at his resurrection. So on the day of the resurrection, Jesus, God gave Jesus the right to rule the nations. God has appointed Jesus to be king over all the earth. He's king of kings. He's given Jesus all authority to rule over the earth and it all belongs to him, both the land and the peoples. And now he, now that he is about to come and reign on the earth and powerfully crush all resistance at his second coming. And so he's enforcing the authority that was actually given him 2,000 years ago. Next in Psalm 2, a final warning is given to the kings because he's about to return. The kings of the earth and their armies and their peoples to submit to Jesus Christ as their king and trust him as the saviour. 
For if they refuse, they will quickly be destroyed. And when he comes in his wrath to judge the earth and rule the earth, it says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss, that means submit to and worship the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed or saved are all those who put their trust in him. That's the gospel message. Psalm 2, you see, reveals that the nations do not want to submit to God and his Christ, and that's the main reason that they come to Israel to, is, is to stop Jesus coming, returning, and taking the kingship of the earth. And Satan, of course, is behind them. And he knows that his time is short. He knows when Jesus will come. It's knowable for those in the tribulation. And so Satan, as the master of the house, will organize his forces to try and stop the return of Christ. You see, he's been determined throughout history to annihilate Israel because they are God's covenant partners. He knows by destroying Israel, he would defeat God's plan to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so anti-Semitism is a satanic spirit. Satan's plan through Hitler, for example, in the Holocaust, uh, was because he knew the time was approaching for Israel to be restored to her land in preparation for the kingdom. And so his plan is to annihilate that uh, the, the, the people of Israel before that could happen. And if he had succeeded, which is impossible, God's word and covenant would be broken and the promised kingdom would be unrealized. He would beat God, in other words. But God even turned the Holocaust for good because it softened the heart of the nations to Israel and it provided a strong case for the need for a Jewish state. In the end, Jesus will return and save Israel and restore her as his chief nation in the messianic kingdom and he will judge the nations according to how they've treated his people Israel. So number one we've seen that um, the, the sixth bowl of wrath prepares the way and these, then number two that these armies actually gather to Megiddo to the valley of Jezreel at Megiddo. Number three now these armies then move south toward Jerusalem and Judah so that Jerusalem comes under siege. The, their purpose is to completely destroy Israel and prevent Christ's return. Joel chapter 2, gives a, verse 1 to 9, gives a graphic description of this seemingly invincible army, massive army, as they march south. It's an, it's an efficient, well-trained, well-equipped, well irresistible army. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, they, they just cover the whole earth, the, the whole land of Israel. A people come, great and strong, the like of which has never been, nor ever will be any such after them, even for many successive generations. It's bigger than any army that's ever come before. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like swift seeds, steeds, so they run. With the noise of chariots over the mountaintops they leap. 
the, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain, all faces drained of colour. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, they do not break ranks, they do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they're not cut down. They run to and fro in the city, they run on the wall, they climb into the houses, they enter at the th windows like a thief. However, even this army will be no match for the heavenly army led by Christ, which is described in the next two verses. It says, the earth quakes before them, that's the heavenly army, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness, the Lord gives his voice before his army, this is the Lord returning from heaven, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, the great and awesome day of the Lord, who can endure it? Zechariah 12 also describes these nations coming against Jerusalem. And in verse 2 he says, Behold, I'll make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples uh, when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. This is the army now coming against Jerusalem. And it will happen in that day that I'll make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all nations, and all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. So they're going to try and take Jerusalem, but it's going to be a lot harder than what they thought. God starts his judgment against these invaders by enabling Israel to fight effectively against them. It says, in that day, says the Lord, I'll strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I'll open my eyes on the house of Judah and strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah will say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I'll make the governors of Judah like a firepan in the woodpile, like a fiery torch in their sheaves, and they will devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, shall not be destroyed. And then in verse 8 it says, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And so they, they will fight like David and his mighty men. And there'll be a hard battle going on with many losses for the Antichrist because God energizes the Jews for battle. And then at this point, Zechariah 12.9 12, says, tells us that God is ready now to personally return and destroy all these invading armies. So as Jerusalem is coming under siege, God is getting ready to re respond. And it says, I will be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And so this invasion will lead to the total destruction of these Gentile armies when Jesus returns in judgment. Although they've gathered to destroy Israel, actually God has gathered them to Israel for their destruction. But before Jesus can return uh, uh, and save Israel, Israel must have a national repentance of their rejection of Christ and officially receive him as their Messiah King and call on him to save her. And that's exactly what Zechariah describes in the next verses, which from chapter 12, verse 10, all the way through to the end of chapter 13. Um, and only then, once they've repented, does he, does he describe the second coming in power and glory to destroy those invading armies, and that's in Zechariah 14. And we'll, discover, we'll discuss this national repentance next time. Then the fourth stage of this campaign is the, he's sieging Jerusalem, but the Antichrist armies also go further southeast to Petra or Bosra in Jordan. 
Why? Because that's where the believing remnant of Israel who escaped at mid-tribulation, that's where they're hiding. And, and so he wants to destroy them as well. One of Antichrist's main targets for destruction is this remnant of Israel, these believers in Jesus who fled to the mountains of Jordan at mid-tribulation when they see the abomination of desolation in the temple because they're obeying Jesus' warning. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This also is the woman of Revelation 12 who gives birth to the man-child, Christ, who is to rule the nations. And so this woman is believing Israel. And she escapes the Antichrist at mid-tribulation by fleeing to a place of safety in the wilderness of Jordan where she's provided for for those last three and a half years leading up to the second coming. And a number of prophecies indicate that this is in the region of Bosra in southern Jordan um, and the famous city Petra it used to be the capital city of this region, which is a large area shaped just like a sheepfold, enclosed by high cliffs with a narrow entrance. And Bosra literally means sheepfold. So the sheepfold of Petra provided the name for the whole surrounding region. Micah chapter 2 verse 12 tells us that God will gather his people in the sheepfold of Bosra. That's in Petra. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like the sheep of the fold. And that's literally the sheep of Bosra. Like a fold in the midst of their pasture, they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. There'll be so many of them there. They will make quite a noise. Antichrist will send his armies to destroy this remnant of Israel in Bosra, attacking it to eliminate all the Jews there, but God will judge them. And that's described in Jeremiah, verse, chapter 49. He says, I, am, I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Bosra will be a desolation, a reproach, a waste, a curse, and all its cities shall be perpetual wastes. I've heard a message from the Lord, and an ambassador has been sent to the nations, to these armies. Gather together, come against her, rise up to battle. God's inviting them to come because he's going to intervene to save Israel. Jesus warned at this time there will be false prophets for the Antichrist who will try and induce them out of safety by playing on the fact that they are looking for the Messiah to come and rescue them. And they will claim, these false prophets will claim, that the Messiah has already come. And uh, so they can come out of their hiding. That's in Matthew 24. He says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ or theirs, do not believe it, for false Christs and prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or, Look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, you see, when Jesus returns the second time, it'll not be like his first coming, where he, yes, he, he was, it was kind of more private, and, and uh, you know, he, it was in a certain location, and, uh, and so the news had to be spread. But now, when he comes the second time, it will be in such public, publicly in power and glory, that all eyes will see him, and no one will have to be told, oh, he's, he's come it will be obvious to everyone. And so, these are false prophecies. They will know when Jesus comes, everyone will know it. When he returns, Jesus will first of all, 
and not many people realize this, but Jesus will first of all come and go and save the remnant in Petra. And only then will he go and save the, uh, those in Jerusalem and in Israel. And once he's done all his uh, destruction of those armies, then he will land on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And so that's his triumphal landing. But while he is coming, he's, as Revelation 19 says, he is actually flying on his horse. And we will be with him on the horses, as the armies of heaven on horses. And he'll be flying and he will be destroying these armies with the word coming out of his mouth. And once he's accomplished that, then he will land on the Mount of Olives and establish his kingdom on the earth. And so he goes first of all to Bosra, and we'll see more of this in, in the next couple of times. Um, Zechariah 12.7 says, The Lord will save the tents, the temporary dwellings, of Judah first. So first of all, he'll save the tents of Judah. That's the people living in Bosra. So that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will not become greater than that of Judah. The tents of Judah, you see, are the temporary dwellings of Judah who've escaped to Petra mid-tribulation. Remember Jesus said, let those in Judea who see the abomination, let them flee. So these are the tents of Judah here in Petra. And so they've escaped there at mid-tribulation. So Jesus will start by breaking the siege there before flying west to Jerusalem. And that's why his return is described as the lightning that comes from the east and flashes to the west. So he will fly from the east, that's Bosra in the east, to the west, which is Jerusalem and Israel there in the west. Next time, we will continue this sequence of events, this exciting sequence of events that lead up to the second coming of Christ, uh, that describe the campaign of Armageddon that takes place over a number of weeks. And we will see, specifically next time, the national repentance and salvation of Israel, which is absolutely crucial to the whole uh, issue of Jesus' second coming. We'll see that it's essential for Christ to return. I hope you've enjoyed this series on the book of Revelation. And I've now written a book called The Book of Revelation, A Commentary by Derek Walker, and this really contains the material in the course with, with the pictures and the charts. And so this book is available for £15, and uh, this will help you revise and study uh, the book of Revelation in great detail. Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you keep the words of this book. And so let me recommend that to you, you get this study book that goes verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.